up, guys? Welcome back to the Liberty Pole Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Cole Williams, and uh, back with me, our co-host, Blake Batchelor, and our other co-host, Hunter Stevens, is currently on Percocets right now, so he's not going to be with us tonight. He's getting his uh, wisdom teeth pulled. And uh, how's it going tonight, Blake? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm sorry for Hunter. I know he's in some pain right now. Maybe he'll get over his drug problem, though. Oh, he'll be good. His parents will buy yeah. the dental office if uh, <laughs> if things go wrong tomorrow, so everything will be okay. Oh man! So we got a we had a lot going on this week in the world of politics. Yeah. Uh, did you see where Kamala Harris basically shrugged her so- shoulders and said she doesn't know when she's going to go down to the border today? I'm not sure if you caught that. No, I didn't see that. I saw she had gone to Guatemala and you know did her little press tour thing. Yeah, I actually saw some resistance from the Guatemalan protesters. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty comical. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, apparently Kamala has done a 180 on immigration. And um, I don't even remember who it was that was pressing her. It might have been Wolf Blitzer. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And um, she was basically shrugging her shoulders, and she said that he said, will you visit our border? And she said, maybe at some time. Ha, ha, ha. And she did her robotic laugh. You know how she is. The, <laughs> the Joker uh, laugh. <laughs> the extraterrestrial human laugh. And, um, and she said, maybe at some point. I haven't visited Europe yet. I'm like, <laughs> But not only was this one of their big running issues, Europe is not part of the United States, as is our southern border. I, I would think that that's not – this apples and oranges to me, but who knows. And she doesn't make a lot of logical sense anyway, so. Yeah, that's a, that's a silly comment. But you'll be happy to know that um, Joe Biden is currently instructing his Federal Reserve to buy up assets in the market still. So we are heading towards – Likely a crash in the dollar and massive inflation here at the end of this year, or maybe beginning of next year. Yeah, I saw Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary was making some comments yesterday about uh, it might be okay that infl- or interest rates rise and some of the inflation may be okay. So that was a little bit surprising, but we'll see if there's anything to back up those words. Yeah, I, I seemed, I would probably doubt that Yellen's gonna gonna back up those words and. Uh, wasn't yeah, Yellen. She was she was the also knowledgeable. Yeah, she's a former. Say what? Yeah, she's a former Fed chair herself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And um, yeah. she's and they gave her credit for predicting the the housing crash, correct? And she was the one before the housing crash telling everybody that everything was going to be all right. And then Barack Obama gives her credit for predicting it. Yeah. But now uh, Jerome Powell, I guess, is trying to take the mantle from her and Greenspan of being the worst Fed chairman we've had in the last 20 years right now. Listen to this, man. So I was reading this today. The Federal Reserve over 2020 has increased its uh, reserve assets from 4.2 trillion to 7.4 trillion in one year. And then yeah. get this: the Federal Reserve has a total of 40 billion in total capital in its in its uh, in its reserves. So you're looking at a 0.05% capital to asset ratio, dude. Of that. Yeah, that's that's nuts. I. I I can't stress that enough. And then notice I said 2020. So for all the, the Trumpians yeah. who are going to try to blame Joe Biden for the oncoming inflation that we're sure we're sure to have at this point, uh, I think we can take a step back and realize that maybe it wasn't just a president that's destroying the economy. And maybe it's our evil and clueless central bank that has taken our economy and taken us through massive expan- expansionary policies and deflation and policies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. What the president's pushed the same, same uh, agenda for the the Fed, Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just I, I get kind of sick of hearing economic, economically illiterate people tell me that Joe Biden is causing all this massive inflation. And anybody who knows anything about economics saw what happened last year. I'm not. I'm not, obviously if if you also have a clue about economics, you're not going to blame that on Donald Trump completely. Because there was a lot of governors that were acting on their own will, which I mean, you were proponents of states' rights, but those governors weren't exactly doing good things in their states. Yeah. And uh, but if you can't correlate that with some inflation that we're seeing at this point, instead of just binarily blaming it on Joe Biden, you, you really need to take a step back and and say, should I even have a political opinion? But people like that don't critically think enough to know that they might be wrong on some subjects. Yeah, which even now. Powell and some of the other ones are trying to uh, 
make the assertion that some of this inflation is transitory or, or in other words it's temporary from all the shutdowns and stuff which some of it i'm sure is true as far as like wood prices and fuel and stuff but I don't think a lot of this inflation is going to go away anytime soon. Of course, and the only way to do that, the only the way to make it transitory is if we taper like immediately. Kind of like you, what you said Yellen was thinking about doing. I didn't really see that, but obviously I'll take your word for it. But if we tapered immediately, and I mean, we would bite the bullet and take our losses, and it would probably be rough. People would be blaming Joe Biden, which is why I don't think we're going to taper immediately. But at the end, we would the likely the market would recover from this a lot better than what's actually going to happen. And we're going to keep inflating this bubble and it's, it's going to pop. Like we, if you've read a history book, you know, this bubble that we have right now is going to pop and a lot of people are going to get hurt. And it's going to be people on the lower end of the economic spectrum per usual. Right. Because yeah. inflation just, is necessarily a tax on the lower and middle class. Absolutely. Yeah. I just looked up her quote. She said, it may be that interest rates will have to rise somewhat to make sure that our economy doesn't overheat, even though the additional spending is relatively small relative to the size of the economy. So she still had to put that exclaimer in there that all this I mean, maybe, spending is good. Maybe the Fed should just stop purchasing bonds and let the free market determine what, what, what long-term and short-term interest rates should be. Because as we've seen, the Federal Reserve is completely incompetent to make decisions for themselves and on their board of governors because obviously they have special interests. And the special interests get the first, you know, the first dibs, in quotations, on the inflationary money. And they could care less when people like you and me get hurt six months yeah. down the line. Yeah. And just to try to explain to people the, the correlation between inflation and interest rates, Generally, when the Fed uh, artificially lowers interest rates, it creates inflation because there's cheap credit, cheaper than what it should be at a market rate. And so to counteract inflation, the Fed would generally increase interest rates to discourage uh, borrowing and spending, which would be the, the increase that she's talking about to keep the economy from overheating. However, if the Fed took its finger off the balance, period, the market would most certainly regulate those interest rates to the better way. Oh, sure. sure. Right, but I, I, I get, I, obviously, I get what you're saying that if if we're going to have, and we, me and you obviously accept reality, we're going to have a central bank at this point. And if we're going to have a central bank, let's stop purchasing bonds like like crazy. I, I read somewhere that we're purchasing like $100 billion in bonds per month or we were in the last year. Dude, that, that is completely unsustainable, and we can't keep doing that. And, and, and you know what's going to happen as soon as – as soon as the um, as soon as inflation takes over and we go through a great recession, as they're going to blame it on the capitalism and the free market, per usual. Yeah, as they always do. But I, yeah, I did not see the yelling quote. I generally don't like her at all. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I pay attention to her because she's kind of important for you know our country. But I don't I don't like her. I don't I don't buy her rhetoric. I don't buy Powell's rhetoric, to be honest with you. And I don't think Joe Biden knows a thing about economics. Yeah, he's. He's illiterate. I actually read where 300, yeah, 300 manufacturers asked the Biden administration like two or three days ago if they could lift restrictions and tariffs to Europe. And uh, not sure if that's going to be coming anytime soon, but that would be an excellent way to get business booming if we actually let human beings trade it freely with each other. But Yeah, it's crazy how that works out. It is wild. But there's, uh, just to hit on special interest again, there's man, there's producers who are selling to these American manufacturers who are asking for these tariffs to be lifted that are selling at a ridiculously high price and they're being allocated to sell at certain times and they're, they're making money hand over fist right now that are not yeah. going to let that happen. And that's yeah. that's the reason. You think Joe Biden cares about free trade or whether we have free trade or not? No. But the, the people in the House and the people in the Senate and the Biden administration, all the Biden lobbyists, they care because they're tied into these big special interest groups that produce at home and they want to keep those prices raised in the uh, – the scarcity of right yeah but that's, that's how like it, all the, i'm sorry that, go ahead like you said that's, that's how it always is the same reason for trump's tariffs on steel and all the other things even tariff from europe and china and everywhere else yeah so i actually read speaking of steel that and this is directly related to the trump administration i will say that that steel is 40 percent less in europe as we speak right now and that that's a, that's a testament to a failure a failure in economic policy by the Trump administration and now by the Biden administration. Yeah. I don't I don't get tariff policy. It's one of the few things economists are generally 
generally agree on is tariffs are bad for the economy. Generally. Yeah, generally. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of left wingers that are that are free. As a matter of fact, I would fall pretty squarely with the classical liberals on uh, free trade. Like I'm a, practically a, a always free trade on every issue, but. Yeah. This brings me to an interesting question. What do you think about our trading and tariff policy with China? China is the one situation where I I would question it. Yeah, but, I yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I, I still wouldn't go as far as to say the, the tariffs or sanctions are useful. Yeah, so I I don't think that any any government action is necessarily a good thing, especially in economics because these people, like like we said, are are a acting on special interest and b not acting from a purely competitive standpoint. So they so they're not competing on our market. They're making yeah. rules for our market to compete with China. So I don't yeah. think I don't think that the best way to go about beating China. And I do think China is a real threat to the United States economically and otherwise. But I don't think the way to go about beating China is to wage a trade war against our greatest producer. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say is maybe we could get rid of the absolutely wacky labor laws in this country and let let our let our industry compete a little bit on the same footing with China. Now, granted, we're not going to have child labor and <laughs> Uyghurs yeah. working in labor camps like they do, but right. we could probably take a little bit less restriction. I mean, a little bit more restriction off of businesses in America and let them compete on an equal footing with China and China's industrial power, which I don't think, I actually think China's industrial power is a little bit overrated. I think people make China out to be a, a bigger monster than they are, but they are, I mean, they are a threat and, and libertarians, I think libertarians kind of do downplay that. And I'll grant that to the right wingers who are kind of the China hawks right now. And you yeah. see the left wingers are Russia hawks and they could care less about China and the right wingers could care less about Russia and they're really China hawks. And I, I'll grant it to them that China is an issue and we've been take been taken advantage of by China, but but to act like we – okay, let me ask you this. In what way economically would it be good for our country to not get cheaper products from China? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I get the whole point about trying to protect American manufacturing, but at the same time, it's still – you're choosing a winner and a loser here in your own country by uh, making those policies. Exactly, and that, I mean that's the essence of economic policy and why economic policy is bad is because you are choosing a winner and a loser, and right. and that's where the government and the bureaucratic system that we have and becomes a, a market in and of itself because the goods, aka government power, is lobbied for by bigger companies and they pay special interests and they pay lobbyists to talk to these congressmen and these presidents and this administration, and and they necessarily, you know compete with smaller companies that can't do the same things and they're always going to get the economic policy and they're in their favor on the issues and the more you expand bureaucracy the more that demand and that market for government favors expand yeah and that's obviously a real issue but we to me we're kind of well past that line of departure for 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 what we need to be talking about today because i mean we 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 do probably have the largest bureaucratic system in the world and and coming from such a rich heritage of decentralization isolation and freedom as the americans have had even up until the 1920s it's really sad to see how 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 far we've gone away from decentralization and individualism to like a a more socialistic and i don't use the term socialistic as the right would use it because the right engages as me and you obviously know in socialistic policies all the time but we've gone to a socialistic uh, unitarian political system and and it's very sad to see that we've done that and has it created some good things possibly but i would most certainly advocate that it's it's been much worse for our country than it has been good yeah, I, I agree. But I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about the whole uh, corporate lobbying uh, scheme as a whole market unto itself, like you talk about. But that has a good point. Where instead of competing for the best product at the best price, you've got companies competing in the who can, who can buy the most politicians. Yeah, necessarily. Why? Okay, so why? So say you're a small say you're a small company and and a larger company is competing with you, but that small company, which is what innovation does in the free market, if that small company comes up with a a better product, b better service, or c a more efficient way to make said product, 
they're going to compete with that company and eventually either A, become a peer competitor with them, or B, put them out of business. So why would the larger company, if they realize this, even allocate any resources in competing with that smaller company when they can allocate the same or less resources to, you know, put their finger on the scale via government bureaucratic power and get legislation in their favor where literally they can use the force of the federal government behind them to compete quote unquote with the smaller company that they'll put out of business, even though that smaller company is more efficient, has a better product or has a better service and would obviously be better for the market and would, uh, raise the real wages of consumers everywhere. Right. It's just, it's just another market disruption. Same way federal, uh, reserve intervention and interest rates is another market disruption. Well, and if you think the market rules, then you should be against all of that. Yeah, and and a lot of conservatives, which I I actually would say that conservatives, like the, the modern conservative, is getting away from the laissez-faire view of the market. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I've heard a lot of them leaning more to like a nationalistic, interventionist economic policy, not interventionist foreign policy. Because I think the 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 populist movement's actually done a decent job on being less interventionist, but in in the economy. Yeah. They've grown a lot more interventionist, and they've proposed a lot more government action into economic policy. And I, I think they're very wrong on that. But but here's the thing. Conservatives, especially in the last 30 to 40 years, all they're doing is conserving things that the left did 10 years ago at this yeah. point. I mean, they, what, I mean, what are you conserving? You're conserving nothing. You're not conserving our laissez-faire way of government. You're not conserving our individualistic tendencies that we had 100 years ago. I mean, you're conserving literally – you're conserving – Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan's policies. And that, I think that's where we failed as both parties really are, are well on the path to social, I mean, uh, uh, socialism. Yeah. I mean, what's the saying that conservatives are just progressive running progressives running the speed limit. Yeah. Ain't that right? Yeah. 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 And conservatives are, they're more worried about, um, Lowering taxes to 36% instead of 38% instead of taking a larger look at the economic system as a whole or our foreign policy or how large our military industrial complex is and realizing maybe this is the reason why we have economic issues, not, hey, our taxes need to be 2% lower. Yeah. Which, like I think we got into on another episode, the Republican Party and conservative movement is nothing but a reactionary uh, force. Of course. I mean, they don't. At this point. They don't necessarily, and especially now with the, with the Trump onslaught into the Republican Party, they 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 literally stand on new principles. The principles can can shift and move every day, and, yeah. and you see that. I mean, you see that with them supporting Caitlyn Jenner running as a Republican in California, which I haven't heard much about it here in the last week or so. But I know that a lot of conservatives were jumping on that train, and and that really just shows you everything you need to know about the conservative party. And and I'm fine with that, but. Conservatives two years ago were losing their minds over Caitlyn Jenner, and I, yep. I, I'm not sure how you can make that shift that quickly. But it goes to show you that conservatives are just in it for the battle, and they they just want to butt heads with uh, with the left, and and they don't actually want to put forth any sound legislation or individ, individualistic policies. Yeah, Republicans and conservatives don't have any any thought leaders at this point their, their main thought leaders are like i said they're just reacting to whatever progressives have made the talking point of the day yeah I, well i'd push back a little bit because i mean i i think there's some good guys or oh sure girls. i'm not saying yeah, yeah okay i got you i mean like i would say shapiro he's he's solid i mean yeah. excluding his foreign policy on israel he's he's solid but and like uh walsh he's solid and michael knowles is solid uh, I mean, the, you, Seoul is solid. You got some. You got some good conservatives who still believe in laissez-faire government. But then, and I like Tucker Carlson. I think he's done a good job in fighting and, and actually meaningfully fighting the left. But Tucker Carlson's economic policy is absolutely asinine, and I, yeah. I just can't wrap my head around how he calls himself a conservative, but he conserves nothing that we've held dear in this country for the last two hundred years. Yeah. I didn't mean to. I'm not trying to disparage the guys like Shapiro and Carlson. Yeah, that I you got brought you. Up. But I'm saying like they're not they're not controlling the narrative on anything. Something Shapiro is bringing up is not going to be uh, what's going to be debated over the next six months. Exactly. It's always the progressive side that's controlling the narrative and setting the debate standards and what's the 
what's the Overton window for what's going to be discussed. Exactly. And, and <laughs> to kind of shift topics here, I think that's what's such a, such a, a large part of why Dave Smith is running on the LP ticket in 2024 or considering that run is because yeah. like he says, and like anybody with a brain would say, the Libertarian party is not going to win in 2024. But yeah. if Dave Smith can push those ideas into the, into the ether of political discussion, then we might actually have to let the establishment have that debate on things that need to be debated, not on a 2% tax cut or transgenders or gay pride or gay rights. We need to have debates on the Federal Reserve and economic policy and foreign intervention. Yeah. And yeah, we, that's we why his, don't have that. Yeah. That's why his, his potential run has got me kind of excited just to see what we can get out of that. I mean, I know the mainstream media and the Republicans and Democrats are going to do literally everything they can to silence him. But I see a little bit of hope. Yeah, well, he's kind of an unsilenceable character. He's, he's a lot like the libertarian version of Tucker Carlson, other than he's yeah. a lot more knowledgeable than Tucker Carlson is. And, and, and Smith has got a rebuttal for everything the left or the right could throw at him. And yeah. he'll turn the question right around their head. They'll say, well, are you a racist for wanting to not give money to, to black and brown people for you know economic policy or, or social welfare? He'll turn that right around and say, are you a racist for dropping bombs on brown kids for the last 25 years? And I think that's a big deal because we don't have that discussion in this country. We talk about banks being racist or conservative networks being racist, and we, we don't even have the, the discussion about the United States foreign policy being completely racist against brown people in the Middle East and just right. just killing them ad nauseum and, 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 and no regards in this country or in, or in other first world countries for their lives whatsoever. Yeah, I think I mean, he may have talked about it, but the whole strategy of being able to attack the left from the left on things like social justice, racial justice, and then at the same time being able to attack the right on things like um, or attack the right from the right on things like the economy and laissez-faire capitalism and whatnot. I mean, that's key. Uh, and that and and I've kind of, as I've gotten older, have steered away from trying to attack anybody on their political beliefs because they can present a good argument. They're willing to have a discussion. I'm I. I I crave that because it's not it's yeah. not very it's not very common anymore. But the the key to talking to these people, if you're a libertarian listening to this podcast, or if you're anybody who doesn't think in the binary streets that people uh, that the establishment has put us in, is like you said, the key is to attack the right from the right, or to attack the left from the left. The left yeah. says let's defund the police, but what do you think the left wants to do with that money? Yeah. Or what do you think the left wants to do with the police force? They want to remake the police force in their image. If you think the right. left wants to get rid of the, the violent, forceful arm of the federal and state governments, you have lost your mind. But we never have that discussion between right and left. It's just the right wing says, oh, you hate the police, you don't back the blue. And the left says, you're a bunch of racists who back the blue. And, and we just go in a merry-go-round there. And we don't have any kind of intellectual discussion on what we actually need to do with our police force and me and you would obviously come from, we would attack the left on that issue from the left. And we would say, Hey, we do need to defund the police, but we could also attack the right from the right and say, the police have way too many powers over our personal freedoms and, 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 and they can, they can violate our, our constitutional rights at whim. And, and right. anybody, anybody who's lived in this country for longer than 10 years knows that the police will and willfully can violate your constitutional rights whenever they whenever they've had a bad day or whenever they feel it would be beneficial to them right and another attack on the right from the right from that same topic would be that conservatives are always claiming that they're for the free market and for capitalism and the market like they say is the best for making decisions then that should the same thing should be applied to police forces uh health and everything else so a market for security would be the best, not a government monopoly like we have now. I mean, yeah, that's pretty obvious because, like, you see, you saw in Elizabeth City in North Carolina, we had to wait what 40 days to get that video of of the black the black fellow that got shot in his car for mm. dealing drugs. But if if that was a if that was a private entity policing that community and they did that and they didn't release that footage, guess what? That contract would immediately be lost and they'd move on to a better competitor who offered better services to that community. Right. Yeah. I'm sure we'll do an episode dedicated to the whole market for security and policing at some point. But when when we say, and most libertarians say, they want uh, reforms on police or even defunding the police, they don't mean we want total uh, 
you know, a wild, wild west situation where everybody's just fending for themselves, there's going to be an obvious market for police services and security. Um, just it'll be better because they'll actually be able to be held accountable. Oh, surely. I mean, even even like the Hobbesian view of you necessarily need government. I don't know if you're aware of that, that, that yeah. theory by Hobbes, but is everybody acts in their own self-interest, but you could turn that around and say, if you're acting in your own self-interest and a community gets together and everybody acts in their own self-interest, wouldn't it be in everybody's self-interest to have some sort of protective force that doesn't violate people's rights, but it does protect people's persons and property. Right. That, uh, that the idiotic argument that the left and the right will present is we would fall into a total state of anarchy and people would be running around killing people and chopping their heads off and burning down houses and stealing from stores. And that's, right. that's obviously not true. That's not how people operate in a society. Yeah, it's, it's, it's silly. But like I said, well, I'm sure we'll get into this deeper on another episode. Oh, for sure. But I actually did want to bring something up. We talked about the oncoming likely recession that we're going to face. And after a year of lockdowns where government and legislators told us, everybody in America, that we can't, we can't leave our homes, we can't go to our jobs, businesses had to be shut down. Instead of, instead of trying to help the American people out of this mess that, that the legislators have created, there's now a bipartisan committee in the House that has proposed a $1 billion increase in funding to Israel to replenish their Iron Dome after this latest episode with Palestine. Yeah, I saw that. And you see who these people Isn't care about more, right? Yep. Uh, yep. I just wanted to bring that up. I, I actually missed that. I was mean to I was mean to tell you about that. I knew that would I knew that would get you going. I know that's a big a big topic for you, the Israel Palestinian debate. But uh, I do wanna I do wanna ask you about this, or or maybe not even ask you, but like uh, we can talk about this. Uh, so the right wingers, I've been hearing a lot about China and how we need to be tough on China, and that was one of Trump's big platforms is we do need to be tough on China, and. I, I just want to know, what do you propose we do to China? And, and, and the people who are advocating military action against China have lost their mind. They've gone bananas. Because yeah, that's out of the question. A military action against either China or Russia would, would literally could mean the end of humanity, and I'm not being hyperbolic at all. Yeah. No, you're right. This, yeah. this isn't Afghanistan or Saddam Hussein's Iraq we'd be messing with. No, exactly, and and I don't, I don't think that anybody having nuclear weapons is moral because a nuclear weapon is an indiscriminate killer and it's going to kill people who are not engaged in combat. So I, that's why I think bombs are also pretty immoral for anybody to use. But yeah. I actually would put forth that countries like China, Russia, and America having nuclear weapons is probably a good thing for world peace, unless that bridge is crossed <laughs> and once that bridge yeah. is crossed you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna flatline on that graph of uh uh of steadily going up in world peace in the last 60 to 70 years yeah it's a it's a shaky situation but it's just I, like a libertarian like what 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 would be your best i don't know if you're talking to a right winger who's kind of hawkish on china maybe economically or militarily what would be your best i don't know libertarian insight to them like because the right wing does have some good ideas like, yes, we do need to stop China from taking advantage of us and our economy and, and, and our security. But they've got horrible ideas on how to go about doing that. And I think libertarians have better ideas if libertarians would actually focus on the topics instead of having ridiculous, oh, we're just not going to do anything with China because we're going to stay home and be isolationists. I, I don't think – I think you have to operate in like in, in a realm of reality where you say, yes, China is an issue and we have a large federal government and we don't need to let China push us around because it's hurting, it's hurting the people in this country who pay taxes to our large federal government. So what, I don't know, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but what, what do you think would be a good libertarian response to maybe how we should handle China and, and make them less of a bully on the world stage? Yeah. Uh, I have a hard time thinking of a good way to do it without hurting ourselves in the end. I mean, I get, I get what conservatives say about China uh, manipulating their own currency to benefit themselves, and I am worried about their invest or strategic investments in infrastructure in places like Africa and other countries where you know they're just doing that to flex their influence. But at the same time, I don't think trade wars are doing anything good for us. I don't think the sanctions or tariffs are doing anything good for us. I would normally just say, trade and good relations with the country will come, you know, with the same principle of self-interest 
if we are trading with a country that should put us in good favor with the country just out of their own self-interest like I said but I, I really don't know I, I actually think that uh, I actually think we've been pretty amicable with uh, I'm sorry messed that word up we've been pretty friendly with China uh, in, in our in our economic dealings like I, I think that the American Chinese business plan is pretty pretty good and they, they produce yeah. products at a cheap price for us to consume the issue where we failed and where Donald Trump really hit on but he didn't have the proper well he did uh, he I'm, I'm sorry I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way he did have the proper responses and reasons why we've lost in this in this battle with China economically but I don't think he knew exactly how to go about it but the issue is not that they're making products for a cheap price the issue is we are losing all of our manufacturers in this country and by that naturally we're losing all of our jobs in this country because we have such harsh restrictions on businesses and and and, and you see the Biden yeah. administration in the next 4 years talking about how their biggest issue now is climate change and 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 look what that's going to do to to the american industry it's just going to put awfully more constri- uh, restrictions on um businesses and companies and corporations and, and they're going to leave like 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 any businessman would why would you not right. leave and, and i right. think that's and i think trump did point that out but 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 putting tariffs on china to fix that is not is not the way to go about that yeah yeah Part of that self-interest in, in trade with China would be actually letting American manufacturers compete with China. But at this point, because of various regulations and stuff, it's not possible. So yeah, you're right. I agree. Yeah, and, and, and that's another thing that I think we could do to fix our China problem we're having is, is really stop being a large empire and pull back, focus on our market, focus on our interests. And that's a nationalistic policy. But we don't have to enforce nationalism on others. We focus on our economic policy and our self-interest and our flourishing. And I think China would largely see, hey, we're either going to get on this train or they're just going to leave us alone and we're not going to be able to trade with the largest market that we could possibly produce to. Yeah. And If, and nationalism, if nationalism means letting many American businessmen do what they want to trade on the uh, the world stage, I'm, I'm for that type of nationalism, <laughs> yeah. I think. I'll call you a nationalist, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think that I think that we 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 miss we miss we miss the uh, we miss the cake where I guess conservatives do, and and they have and they they say the right things about China and I do think they're worried about it from from legitimately innocent or like pure intentions that like yes China is hurting our economy and they and 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 they are becoming quite the militaristic threat. I don't I don't think there's big of one is a lot of people are peddling on the right but they are and they're a threat they're probably the second largest power in the world and and the issue is is we we attack them by launching a trade war against the second largest power in the world who's also our greatest producer who also has most of our government bonds and it's, it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous response to to something they've correctly pointed out is an issue and then immediately they, there's no there's no intellectual discussion on how to fix it it's just Rah rah! Let's go beat them down. Let's 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 enforce an embargo on them, or let, let's take military action against them. It's just utterly ridiculous, and it's economically illiterate. Right. Instead of taking the correct action, which would be allowing Americans to be competitive, they want to take a proactive interventionist policy, which is making Americans less competitive at the cost of other Americans. Like we said earlier, picking uh, winners and losers. Yeah, and 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 that's like we've talked about that is what bureaucracy does is they pick winners and losers and the winners they pick are going to give them the money needed to expand that bureaucracy and that's what bureaucrats want right that that's their livelihood and that's why we've seen such an expansion in bureaucracy and actually a lot of people what i'm sorry which which president was it that um that largely ended the the partisan bureaucracy that came in and and went out with each administration. I think it was Roosevelt, wasn't it? Um, I'm not sure, honestly. And okay, I, I'm almost positive it was Roosevelt. And and the issue with that is, yes, on the face and and in your elementary textbooks that everybody praises Roosevelt for doing that. But the problem with that is, as each administration comes in, 
they create new openings and expand bureaucracy larger and larger for their people who help them get elected to take over these yeah. bureaucratic jobs. And then they get out and another administration comes in and does the exact same thing. And over the last 100 years, we've seen a largely pretty small federal government turn into an absolute mammoth. And I, and I would I would say probably one of the largest markets in our country. Like I said, the demand for government favors and government force is at an all-time high because government puts their fingers on so many economic skills in this country. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But yeah, I, I just don't, I don't think that, I think the conservatives in this country have done a good job of correctly pointing out what we, what China is doing to us that we need to fix. I just don't think their responses are, are correct. And I do think Trump did, he, he did, he did deregulate a little bit, but he was largely focused on beating China in a trade war. And, and like yeah. I said, what, what good does it do for Americans to have to buy consumer products at a higher price? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's counterintuitive. I mean, there's no other way around it. There's no like higher order philosophical economic reason why higher prices would be better for lower class consumers. It, it is, it is purely counterintuitive. And the only, the only people that helps that kind of policy helps are corporations who produce in this country to produce at a higher price and it gives them incentives to make shady products or products that aren't as good or services that aren't as good or, or, or not produce at a more efficient level because they're producing basically in a quasi monopoly because we've, we've tariffed off the rest of the world. Right. I'm not sure if you yeah. agree with that. No, I, I agree. Oh, and another thing I actually wanted to point out about the whole China issue is if China and even and here's another response to the China issue. I've heard a lot that, well, well, we need to actually do something about China because China's using slave labor and child labor, and we can't do that. And I agree that we shouldn't do that. But Obviously. I would say, I would say that if China is going to do that, that shouldn't be our concern. We take their consumer products for a lower price, and we allocate our resources to things we do better here that China cannot do better than us. And I think yeah. I think that is a that's a way that we could really coexist with the other world's largest economic and militaristic power, and and really allocate our resources to doing things that that China is just not as good at us at, like technology and 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 softwares. I mean, obviously they'll steal it from us, but, but five yeah. years later it's not a big deal. We we obviously outpace them in, in technology and 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 in Silicon Valley. Uh, and so so I'm fine with China making consumer goods that are extremely cheap and then you raise the real purchasing power of the American people and especially lower and middle class people but, but but here's the issue nobody wants to sit down and have a have a long form discussion where American people can listen to influential people have these intellectual debates on what we should do about this it's a five minute talking point from somebody on Fox News screaming at a liberal or, or on MSNBC two liberals screaming at each other and, and they're screaming past each other and, and there's nothing yeah. to be had. And you, and you, you watch that show and you already have your stance and you're not moved at all. You're not stimulated to critically think about the subject. And we're in this merry-go-round where, and I, and I would say that nobody's probably even proposed that we allocate our resources to competing better and things that China doesn't do well. And late, like accepting that, yes, they might beat us competitively on making consumer products. Fine. We'll buy your consumer products at a much lower price, and it will benefit China. It'll benefit us, and we can coexist in a mutually beneficial relationship. That's, I, that's how trade works. Yes, I think that I think actually that is the most peaceful and and best solution forward for for our country and our economic policy. Yeah, and even going back on the the slave labor problem, the market has the solution for that too. Because if people find out that a certain product's made with slave labor. A lot of people are going to be willing to pay just that little bit more to buy something that was made by, you know, voluntary production. So, yeah, and I if agree. not, then, then the market will accept it. And and I, I actually, yeah, I agree with you. And I do think that, that that theory, I hold to that theory, but it does fail sometimes in the real world, as we've seen with like Apple products. Like where do, where do Apple products come from? And, and yeah. Largely, anybody with a brain knows what's going on in China and how we're getting these Apple products. But but these things are so essential to our lives that I think we we turn a blind eye to that. So I think that it does fail in the real world. But I hold to your theory. I'm not, I'm not even pushing back on your theory. But what I would say is is as bad as this sounds, the child labor and slave labor in China is not our issue right now. We need to focus yeah. on our communities and our economic policy and and the fact that people in this country, especially in the middle class 
can't save money because five years later after they've, they've saved money, Federal Reserve economic policy is going to take that money away via inflation, and they'll have nothing in their savings account. So I, I think we have larger issues. Oh, and the fact that the left and the right are, are nearing violence in the street with each other right now. I think we have larger issues than Chinese child labor. Uh, and I know that sounds harsh, and I, and I do care about it, and I wish that would stop. But we need to fix our own problems, and the way to do that is to focus on efficiency and allocate our resources to things that Americans and American industry does well. And we buy Chinese products at a lower price, raise the real purchasing power for American lower and middle classes, and, and corporations will make their money, they'll create more jobs, and, and theoretically stay in America if we, if we are allocating those resources. But to do that, we need to lift restrictions, bureaucracy and legislators need to take their finger off the scales and let smaller companies innovate and push these bigger companies to be better producers of goods. So I, so it, it's, it's, it's a catch-all where, where you would have yeah. to do multiple things, but those multiple things are very easy if you don't have government intervention. Yeah, it would be easy, but the problem is the solution to your problem would be the government doing less of something. And every time there's a problem, Republicans are screaming, government's got to do something. Democrats are screaming, government's got to do something. It's never the government needs to do less of something. Yeah, you're correct. And, and the ones who are saying that aren't being listened to. And me and, you yes. are, me and you are on here on the podcast saying this, and 100 people might listen to us. This is about what we're getting per episode at this point. And, and, and those 100 people largely don't have the power to change anything. And I'm not saying what me and you are saying is, is right, but I'm saying it's time to have intellectual discussions past what you said. Scream at the left and use government power to enforce your will down their throat. Yeah. And, and back to the bureaucracy problem. Bureaucracy is not going to take their finger off the scales because when they do, they're going to stop getting the special interest. Yeah. That would be against their own, their own self-interest. Correct. And their Which, little market of, of a government monopoly. Which is exactly why we need a president, and I, I don't like executive power, like a sweeping executive order, but to reduce bureaucratic, like bureaucratic power in this country, and not just that, like the sheer volume of bureaucrats that we have, and and people would say, but you're gonna you're gonna make them lose their jobs, and and yes yes you will, but when you take the bureaucratic, okay, when you reduce bureaucracy in this country, that's gonna open up markets for the private industry to swoop in allocate their capital better because they're not paying as much money to support these bureaucrats and, and, and have better products at a better service and are more efficient. And these people can get hired doing things that actually produce real capital and make real money for the American people. Yeah. Because the government isn't, isn't a producer of anything. They're only a taker. You t they take things from people that do produce. Correct. And, and like and, you said, well, I was just going to say at this point, the bureaucracy and even the U.S. military is nothing more than a U.S. jobs program, which is not what they should be. Yes, the U.S. military literally is a U.S. jobs program, and 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 they're not even as good as the TVA. They don't even yeah. build things yeah. that, the, that, that the American people can use. They destroy yeah. things naturally. They're a military. And it's time to have a discussion about reducing our militaristic power. I, I'm not saying to, to neuter us. Because if we're going to have this large of a federal government who we pay taxes to, I, I believe, as a libertarian even, that we should have a military to protect us. I'm not saying to neuter us. I'm saying in what way are we using this absolutely gigantic military-industrial complex to keep anybody in our country safe at this point? Yeah. And there's no logical yeah. answer to that. It's just somebody will scream in your face and say you're, you're a liberal or a snowflake or you hate America. Like somebody yeah. like Charlie Kirk would say something like that. And it's just... It's ridiculous. We don't have intellectual debate in this country, and that's why we're that's why we're at a stalemate. And well, I'm sorry, we're not at a stalemate. The left is trampling the right right now. Yep. Because yeah, the right, mean, I'm sorry, what? No, go ahead. The right will scream at the left on Fox News and won't do anything when they have political power. You see what happens when the left has political power. Day one, they're moving, and that and that's the difference between the two parties. I don't like either. But the only reason why I like the right more is because they say bad things, but they don't necessarily legislate a bunch of bad things like the left. The left says bad things and legislates bad, bad things. Yeah, yeah. The, the left is good at doing bad things, and the right is inept at doing bad things. So Correct. But both of choosing the lesser of yeah, lesser of two evils theory. Yeah, which I'm I'm so past that, but yeah, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the last 
five <laughs> years. I, I kid you not, man. I, I, I can't do it anymore. You you are quintessentially admitting that both of them are evil and you're voting for an evil person. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I can't do that. And, and I'm so tired of people telling me when they know I'm a libertarian that you're just going to let the Republicans lose every election because you're voting libertarian. It's like, dude, stop telling me how to vote. I literally, how about vie for your party to do better on things that they should be doing? Like, their their core platforms that would, like, the, look, Republicans do have policies that would pander to libertarians, but they, they don't, like Donald Trump, people say he was a libertarian president. It's, it's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. He did nothing even remotely in line with libertarian thinking at all. And, and, and a lot of Republicans, I'm sure you heard this, and conservatives are blaming the libertarians for his loss. How about we, how about we blame the guy who told people that voting by mail was fraudulent and it wouldn't work and don't do it to, to a Republican party that skews elderly. And, and these yeah. people are also, you know, by magnitude, way more scared of, of COVID, too. And Donald Trump for three months is preaching that you shouldn't vote by mail. So obviously the left is preaching you should vote by mail. So ha- how about Donald Trump, instead of blaming libertarians and Donald Trump supporters, instead of blaming libertarians, how about critically think about a ways to win your election and, and don't blame everybody else when you lose because Donald Trump was completely inept in, in, this, in this last election. I know a lot of things were stacked against me, couldn't control but he was inept when he was running. He, I mean, he yeah. lost to probably the worst candidate we've had in 50 years. Yeah. Of course, he couldn't control anything to do with the COVID crisis, but he had plenty of opportunities to win a little bit of ground back, and he just couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, he, to me, to me, he, to me, it was his election to lose, and he did, he did everything in his power, it felt like, to lose the election. And, and, and then immediately the day after he loses, you have half of the Republican Party blaming libertarians and the other half saying it was it was election fraud. Instead of just yeah. coming to terms with Donald Trump is not is not the God King that you make him out to be. And and he ran in just like in twenty sixteen, he ran in an inept campaign. And the only reason why he won in twenty sixteen is because Hillary Clinton was just purely everybody recognizes on the left including an evil person that has no redeemable qualities at all. No. And that's not going to work against uh, Uncle Joe Biden, who everybody likes and thinks he's sweet and senile. Yeah, that was his whole pitch. Yeah, and and that he he didn't do anything offensive. He was just a doddering old fool. Which I, I think we could pull up some clips of some racial, some racially offensive comments he made in in in, in the eighties and nineties. But the mainstream media will never bring that up. <laughs> no. But yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, Joe Biden had like. <laughs> It felt like 10 rallies in his entire campaign and lost to the guy who supposedly had the red army behind him. And it's because Donald Trump, it's not because of election fraud. Might there have been election fraud? Possibly. But Donald Trump did not lose because of election fraud. He lost because he ran in an inept and clueless campaign. And he refuses to listen to reason. He refuses to listen to good counsel. And he surrounds himself with his family and his friends who will tell him what he wants to hear. Yep. And that was the story of his, his presidency. Exactly. And I, we've touched on this before, so we're not going to get off on it again. But yeah. his presidency could have been, by an order of magnitudes, better if he'd have had halfway decent counsel. Like you have, like we were talking about, you have good people on the right. And instead, you surround yourself with Jeff, Jeff Sessions, Steve Bannon, and John Bolton. And I, yeah. I, I really, and, and your family, who knows nothing about the political arena at all. Neither does Donald Trump. So Donald Trump gets into office knowing absolutely nothing about politics, economics, or, or how the whole system works. And what does he do? He doesn't go out and pick an expert to run it with him. He goes out and, and gives his family comfy positions and, and lets them be his mouthpiece. And, it, yep. and it's the nihilism that, uh, that also really killed him and, and hurt him. And he doesn't, he doesn't like to listen to reason. I, I don't want to bash Trump because it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an old topic for me. And I... And I'm not some left yeah. liberal who just hates everything about Trump. I think he did some good things, but he did some yeah, bad things. I agree. And he ran an inept campaign. And I think it's time for the right to move on from Donald Trump, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I'm tired of talking about him, too. You can tell the, the corporate media doesn't want to let him go because they're still running headlines of, of you know, things that shouldn't be news headlines about what he's doing day to day. Of course, Fox oh. News does the same thing. But Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, time, well, it's time to let him go. 
Well, here's the thing. He's not going to get let go because he's the best thing that happened to corporate media. They were failing yeah. in 2016. That's why you saw so many. That's why you saw an increase in people getting banned on Twitter and Facebook because these conservatives and these far far left liberals were drawing way more of a following on their podcasts or on their YouTube channels. And they were destroyed. Yeah. I mean, like Stephen Crowder destroys regular Fox News and CNN shows. And he's oh, getting yeah. banned. Same with Ben Shapiro. Same with Joe Rogan. I mean, these people, and they want to ban these people. And, and it's not because they're good-hearted people who don't want to hear hate speech online. That's ridiculous. They're trying to ban it because corporate media has lied and lied to the American people. They have no intellectual debate. They have no long-form discussion. There's no there's no nuance in, or any kind of complexity in any of their discussions. It's just shout at each other and push propaganda and, and and i think people are just tired of it to be honest with you yeah. Yeah. like like we said before it's just the corporate media trying to maintain the stranglehold they've had on information for decades yeah because they can see it slipping away yeah the walter cronkite the walter cronkite business model to control the population isn't exactly going to work anymore we have and that's that's the great thing about social media and i think social media in its in its conception was supposed to be like some 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 great platform for people to to have ideas that are outside of the 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 three by five card of allowable opinion, as Tom Woods says. But yeah. but but they've been pressured, like uh, Jack Dorsey and um, Zuckerberg and and the YouTube owner. I'm not sure who he is, but uh, they've been pressured by these legislators who are being pressured by corporate media to to ban these people because they're like you said are losing the stranglehold. And the only stranglehold they have left now, and the only reason why they did good for the last four years, is because people are so obsessed, whether they like him or hate him, with Donald yeah. Trump. And that's why he's oh, not yeah. going away. And he won't go away. I'm, I'm going to make a – I'll make a claim yeah. right now. He will not go away, even after his death. Yeah. Trump derangement syndrome is very real. Yeah. And it's affected a lot of people. On both sides. Yep. I'll turn the Trump derangement syndrome right around on the right because they are some deranged people about a person who's largely inept about pretty yeah. much everything they want to get done in this country. Yeah, he said some mean things to some liberals. And, and personally, I've thoroughly enjoyed his tweeting. Like, it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, he's really funny. <laughs> yeah, and and that's why I, I'm hesitantly optimistic about Ron DeSantis because I think we talked about this last episode, so I don't want to get onto it too much, but Ron DeSantis is everything good about Donald Trump that I liked about him with all, without all the crap that came along with Donald Trump. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I agree. Like you said, I'm, I'm very hesitant, but I'm, I'm hesitantly optimistic. Yeah. But if our boy Dave Smith runs, we're going to throw DeSantis under the bus for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Smith is so solid. If you don't, if you don't know about Dave Smith, follow his podcast, listen to him on YouTube. I mean, look the guy up. I mean, he's a, He's brilliant. He can communicate theoretical libertarian ideas in a way that the layman can understand and really get behind. Honestly, to me, he's the next Ron Paul. I think he, he relays these ideas that libertarians hold, the greatest philosophy, political philosophy that we have, the political philosophy that our country was founded on. He relays these ideas in ways that people can understand and get excited about and i and i think even over like somebody like tom woods or bob murphy or the judge or maybe even ron paul i think that I, i'm big on dave smith man i think that he could really make some make a big impact if he gets the lp nomination yeah if there's anybody that can recapture that 2008 ron paul ron paul energy it's, it's definitely him i don't yeah. see anybody else doing it i agree with you and, and like i said i love tom woods he's my favorite political commentator yeah. that i listen to but uh but, but Woods, honestly, is just on another planet intellectually from everybody. <laughs> so he has, yeah. a, uh, he has a hard time communicating with like, lay people who don't necessarily understand. And I'm not saying I'm not – I mean, I'm saying that sometimes Tom Woods talks over my head as well. That yeah. He, he kind of does have a hard time a little bit of explaining things. He does – now, Woods has done a great job on COVID, and he's really laid out why the lockdowns were a failure. Yeah. But, but, but when Woods starts talking about political philosophy or, or economics, he's a little bit over your head. Dave Smith is not really college trained. He's a comedian, hilarious guy, very personable and, and, and funny. And, and he can explain these ideas in an exciting way. And that's what I'm excited about. So I'm cautiously optimistic about both candidates. And I'd be extremely optimistic if, if, if we wanted to prop Tulsi Gabbard up for the Democratic Party. What a, what a, what a three-way ticket that would be. I would be very optimistic for this country, but it's obviously not going to happen. The corporate media wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, they would. They would yeah. There wouldn't be any debates. 
No, there would not. The, all three of them's Twitter would be banned tomorrow, yeah. and we'd have we'd have Jeb Bush, uh, <laughs> Kubachar, and uh, Spike Cohen running against each other the next day. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put Spike in that. Uh, Gary Spike's, Johnson again. Spike's, Spike's more, okay. He's more mainstream than, than Dave, though. Yeah. Spike's nicer. I like Spike, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I do like Spike. I wish he would have ran as the presidential nominee instead of Jorgensen. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, I think we're gonna wrap this thing up. We're getting kind of long. This was a good discussion, man. We had we had some good economic topics. Talked about China, which I kind of wanted to do tonight. Talked about, of course, Donald Trump because it seems to be a recurring topic on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, talked man. about Dave Smith. Talked about the Federal Reserve, which you know I'm big about. We didn't really hit on the Israeli-Palestine deal, which I know that's your big thing. But I think this was an awesome podcast. Yeah, I'm not sure you got any closing statements. No, I think it was a good one. Yeah, I mean... I I did see, uh, I think you did too, Steve Bannon's got a plan to install Trump as the Speaker of the House by 2024. Oh, no, no, no. That was Rogan O'Hanley's plan, a.k.a. DC Drano on Twitter. Oh, was it? Yes, sir. He's he's, he's taking credit for it, which is utterly disgusting. And and, uh, we're about to get back on it. Sorry, guys, but... (laughs) Um, we'll make it quick. Yeah, so the, they were saying that they wanted him to run for Speaker of the House so he could uh, impeach Joe Biden and run for president in 2024. And and how asinine of a plan. I, I know the left has been asinine, but how asinine of a plan. And, and, and you wonder why people hate Donald Trump and the right. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying the left doesn't engage in those type of activities, but why do you hate the left? Because they engage in those type of totalitarian activities and political games, and you're going to do the same thing because the left does it. It's asinine. Yeah, I but can't yeah, even get mad asinine. about it because it's so unrealistic. Could yeah. you imagine Donald Trump being in Congress, let alone the Speaker of the House? Dude, and and he would control a basically control a branch of government. That's that's the crazy thing. It's absolutely ridiculous, man. I I, I mean, there's been. I'm trying to think, maybe two or three presidents ever that's going back into politics. I think William Taft became Chief Justice. John Quincy Adams, I think, went to the House of Representatives after his presidency. And one president went to the Senate. I don't remember which one it was. It may have been Andrew Johnson. I was about to but, say, I think it was. But, but uh, Donald Trump is not on the on the political caliber of any of those three people. No, he's not. And, and he really, like I said, for the benefit of the right in this country should retire back to to Mar-a-Lago and and tweet and write blogs, to be honest with you, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, I reckon we'll wrap this thing up. It was a good podcast. Like I said, we hit on some some stuff that was kind of important. Talked about some economics. Uh, Follow our Instagram page. It's at the Liberty Pool. Um, And uh, tell us what you think about the episodes or tell us what you want us to talk about. But me and Blake are very passionate about economics so when so when so when when rocks um, on the percoceps me and blake are having an hour-long discussion about economics <laughs> but yeah um yeah i would just leave you with this man it's uh it's been good talking to you and to our listeners like i always say focus on your own personal freedom focus on human flourishing love your neighbors your neighbors your neighbors and your fellow citizens are are, are the people who we can work together to drag us out of this crap pool that we've created for each other and and screaming past each other is not going to do anything beneficial for for this country for for our future children and grandchildren it's just gonna it's gonna escalate the violence it's gonna escalate the rhetoric and and that's and, right yeah focus on human flourishing have intellectual discussions don't be married to your ideas that's another big one do not be married to your ideas and and and, and, and critically think understand nuance and complexity and 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 understand that corporate media and legislators and politicians and presidents are lying to you and, and, yep. and don't take them at face value. Do your own research, critically think, love your neighbors, be nuanced, man. And um, I'm going to leave you with this quote by Thomas Sowell and then we'll get out of here. Freedom has cost too much blood and agony to be relinquished at the cheap price of rhetoric. And uh, I think that's, that pretty well describes the climate that we have that we have today we 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 fought hard for freedom in this country in just wars and and even the people who fought under the banner of freedom and maybe they were misguided fought for that freedom and and to just scream past each other and and work in direct opposition with your fellow countrymen and and, and to result in the violence is just not a good thing and just focus on human flourishing love your neighbor love each other man and, and have a good night